Welcome to Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer. This is Jason Lamb, and on behalf of our entire staff and team here at Dare to Share, thank you for joining us for these monthly podcast episodes. This month, Greg deviates a little bit from his normal routine, and instead of walking us through a passage, uh, it's a little more topical. Greg breaks down seven ways that you can increase your youth ministry impact. So super practical, super tactical, but you will be blessed this month through this idea of seven ways to increase your youth ministry impact. As a reminder, make sure you subscribe, like, rate, review, respond, interact with us, do all those things, and and let's work together to get this podcast out there to the masses of youth leaders that could use this type of resource. Thanks so much for tuning in. Here's Greg. Have you ever had a massive youth ministry fail? I have. I've had several. I remember when I was a middle school youth leader, there was a high school and middle school that went up on a camping trip to a place called Mystic Island Lake. It was a six-mile intense uh, hike. It wasn't just a normal hike. You had to use hands and feet at certain points. So to be honest with you, it was too rough. We should not have picked that hike, but we finished it. We got up there. We set up tents. Everything was cool until a junior wanted to wrestle around. Like, And so he's like, I think I could pin you. I'm like, you can't pin me. So I'm wrestling around with him, and I snapped his ankle. I literally just pop. And all of a sudden, he was four I was five because he started crying and I was like, shh, shh, don't tell mom, you know, and I tried to keep him quiet. I put his leg and his foot in the stream, which was ice cold, and he screamed and I got in trouble and it was a mess. We had to get him down the mountain. Youth ministry, fail. And another youth ministry fail, you know, you play games, you food games, drinking games, not, no, not drink, not drinking, not drinking games, but drinking games, like, like. Prune juice. This was the game that we wanted to have a competition with. I was trying to get teenagers to see who could drink a quart of prune juice the fastest, and nobody would volunteer. And so I recruited one of the adult leaders, and uh, his name was Rick. And I said, Rick, let's let's see how fast we can drink a quart of prune juice. And we went. We were so stupid because I won. And then I lost about 10 pounds over the next three hours. Literally, the buses had to wait for us as we were side by side in the stall. Just so you know, if you ever constipated, prune juice, it'll work. Fail. Youth ministry, fail. And I could go on and on and on, and I'm sure you could as well. There's often youth ministry fails, but it makes me think about this quote from Francis Chan. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Let's apply that to youth ministry. Our greatest fear should not be of failing in youth ministry or youth ministry fails, but of succeeding at things in youth ministry that don't really matter. I want to ask you this. Are you effectively leading your youth ministry? And what our passion at Dare to Share is, is to help you lead well to lead in a way that really matters, that is truly advancing the kingdom of God in the lives of your students and then through the lives of your students to their friends. So I want to give you seven simple ideas that will vastly improve your youth ministries program, your youth ministry program, all right? We want to win in all the right ways. The number one is this, make prayer numero uno, number one. Make prayer your biggest 
focus. You know, in 2013, Dare to Share commissioned a study of several hundred youth leaders. What we found uh, were seven values in every youth ministry that was succeeding in all the right ways, making and multiplying disciples. The number one characteristic of every one of those youth ministries that were succeeding was that they all had prayer as numero uno, number one in their youth ministry. Let me ask you this. Is prayer number one in your youth ministry? And I'm not talking about your typical me, myself, and I self-centered prayers. I'm talking about prayer, specifically in accessory prayer, where you are praying for your students, your students are praying for each other, your teenagers are praying for the lost, and that there is a culture of prayer that dominates your youth ministry. Here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So one, we need to get our students praying for each other and praying for other believers. Wouldn't it be great to see your teenagers praying for the adults in your church, praying for teenagers, uh, other believing teenagers in the community, maybe even praying for the persecuted church worldwide, getting our teenagers to pray for other believers. There's something about that that really decentralizes their focus and really lifts them up, not on their own needs and their own self, but on the needs of others. Paul prayed 12 power prayers in his epistles. One of them is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Here's how he prayed for the Ephesian believers. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Notice what he doesn't say is, Lord, just bless him. Bless him. And then move on. No, he's praying specifically, not even for their physical health or their emotional health. I'm sure he prayed for that stuff as well. But he's praying that they would be spiritually transformed, their eyes would be opened, and that they would know who they are in Christ and all of his power that's available. What if we started praying like that for our students? What if our students started praying like that for each other as well as for other believers? Jesus, how did he pray? In John 17, the high priestly prayer, he prayed that the church may be one as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in the Trinity. Jesus prayed on our behalf. Romans 8, 34 says that Jesus right now is interceding on our behalf. Think about that. Right now, the throne of the Father, you have Jesus, the right side of the Father, who's praying on our behalf. He's interceding for us right now. Think about that. I love the words of Robert Murray McShane. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. I mean, Jesus is praying for you and for me. Jesus is praying for our students. Jesus sets the pace as an intercessor, and he wants us and our teenagers to follow. We pray for each other as believers, and we pray for the lost. Will you really see this? Summed up, Jesus on the cross, tortured, bleeding, hanging on a cross, paying the price for the sin of humanity. And what does he say? 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prays for their souls. In the worst part of his life, the worst condition he possibly could be, he's praying for others. He's praying for the lost. Sets the pace for us. Paul followed that. We're going to break this down in a future podcast. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 10.1 said, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So Paul had this passion to pray for the lost. What if our students began to pray for their friends that don't know Christ, their classmates, their teammates, their family members? You know, I tell the story If you've heard me preach, you've probably heard my family stories of my family's radical conversions because a preacher in the suburbs reached out to the city on a dare, reached my toughest uncle. He came to Christ and my other uncles came to Christ. I was able to lead my mom to Christ. And it was a powerful, powerful story of all this transformation. Part of the story I often don't tell, and maybe I should, is the story of my grandma. Because years later, she said, you know, she was a believer during this whole time. She said, you know... For years, before that preacher came and reached your Uncle Jack, I'd been praying for Jack to be saved. I'd been praying for all my boys to be saved. I was praying for my one daughter, your mama, to be saved. I was praying. So behind all those radical stories of conversion is one praying grandmother. I just want to challenge you, do not underestimate the power of prayer. What does this mean? What's the simple idea? Start praying. Start praying in your own life. Start praying for believers. Start praying for the lost. And then program it into your meeting. Spend some time in prayer. Teach your students to pray. Number two, take time to prepare a lesson that rocks. Take time to prepare a lesson that rocks. You know, a lot of youth leaders, I know they're so busy and they got so much going on and they're meeting with students that what they do is they just go to one of those lesson-churning websites and they pull one right before and they get up and teach it. And here's the challenge with that. Here's Paul's challenge to Timothy. Here's the Holy Spirit's challenge to us. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. You know, even preparing for this talk, I I was asked by somebody, do you want me to prepare a lesson for you? I'm like, no, I like to chew my own food. Thank you very much, right? And I know there's, I know there's, there's websites, I know there's outlines, and I'm not saying it's a sin to go and use somebody else's outline, but at least spend time in the Word and make sure that outline is correct and process it yourself so that you're preaching what God is doing in your life and teaching you through His Holy Spirit to others. We need to really take this seriously. I love the definition of preaching from Tony Evans. He says, it's the proper exegesis of the text delivered to the needs of the audience in the power of the Spirit through the personality of the preacher. Well, think about those four elements. Proper exegesis of the text. In other words, you're rightly dividing the word, delivered to the needs of the audience. So you need to spend time. What does this audience need? What do my students need at this time? In the power of the Spirit, so you're fueled by the Spirit through the personality of the preacher. You're being yourself. So exegete your audience, exegete your text, and explain it in a way they can understand and apply. And that takes time. So here's the practical step. Spend time praying about what do your students need to hear and spend time preparing, really 
the word to be delivered to their needs. Sometimes, you know, the mo- I remember one of the most effective sermons I ever preached was not a sermon at all. I was invited to speak up at a camp because their, their main camp speaker double booked. And they're like, hey, our camp speaker is not showing up. Can you come and do it? And I'm like, sure. Thank you for making me your first choice. So I went up a three and a half hour drive to Lone Tree Bible Ranch in Glendale, Wyoming. And I went in there and I could just tell something was off. I mean, there was something going on. I didn't know exactly what. Preached the sermon. To be honest with you, I kind of had to pull that one from the file. I did not have time to properly prepare, right? Because I just pulled it and had to drive. Then up there, I could prepare some stuff once I got up there. But I, I kept asking the youth pastors afterward, what's going on? And they're like, oh, my goodness, there's fights. There's groups that are just turning on each other. There's so much hatred in these groups. There's battles between youth groups. There's one uh, youth group that's got a new youth pastor, and they're kind of insurrection against them. They don't like him, and he's wounded. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I begin to pray, Lord, give me the right sermon. Give me the right sermon for this audience because I can't preach what I was going to preach. And the Spirit of God gave me an idea, and that night I stood up at Lone Tree Bible Ranch, and I said, you know what? The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, forgiving each other, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. I can't preach this sermon because there are factions among you, and forgiveness needs to be asked for and granted. So I'm going to leave this microphone up, and whoever needs to ask forgiveness can ask forgiveness. And I sat down for what seemed to be the longest amount of time I've ever sat down. It was probably five minutes. And sure enough, one kid get up, got up behind the microphone and looked at the one youth pastor and said, you know what, I've done what's wrong. I've rebelled against you. We have not given you a chance. I want to ask your forgiveness. And that youth pastor ran up and hugged him. And, and one by one by one, students came up and asked for forgiveness. And it was granted. And I knew it was over. When this one kid stood up and said, you know what, Mary, I've been lusting after you for years. I'm like, all right, let's close in a song. We're done here now, right? But that moment was powerful because we spent time preparing, exegeting the text, exegeting the audience, and bringing them together. Third, the third easy, uh, simple way, not easy, but simple idea that can impact your youth ministry is give the gospel every week. Give the gospel every week. Paul wrote uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.2, I had to resolve to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What I'm going to do is I'm going to preach the gospel. Corinthians, I'm coming at you with the gospel. Every week you're going to hear the gospel. When I'm with you, expect to be gospelized, right? A simple way for you to see your youth ministry transform is when you give the gospel every single week. Students begin to know, man, if I bring my friends, they're going to hear the gospel. Yesterday, I was preaching uh, at a church, a large, large church, and I was I preached, and in the middle of my sermon, I said, by the way, maybe you're here and you don't know Christ, and I gave the gospel. And afterward, the pastor pulled me aside, and he said, I just want to tell you this. I had somebody that I'd been working on and praying for spiritually. They showed up. And when you gave the gospel, I was cheering for you to give it clearly, to give it in a compelling way. I looked at my friend. Tears were coming down his eyes, and he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He goes, now I know how my congregation feels when they bring somebody that doesn't know Christ, and, and I, they want me to give the gospel clearly. It was a powerful moment because that pastor realized that excitement and the anticipation of giving the gospel on a consistent 
basis. Too many times we make the sin of assumption. Uh, we just assume because they show up at church or show up in youth group that they're saved. That is not true. I remember once I was invited to go speak uh, at the University of Colorado, and I um, told the lady I'm going to give the gospel, and she's like, uh, you don't have to give the gospel. Everybody's already a believer here. Um, I said, I'm going to give the gospel. And she's like, well, I don't want you to. And I was like, well, too bad. I'm going to do it. And uh, she goes, well, just know it's under protest. I go, well, okay, that's fine. And so I do my sermon. I preach about sharing the gospel. And at the end, I give the gospel. And I said, if everybody can bow their heads and close their eyes, everybody bowed their heads and close their eyes except for uh, this lady. She had her arms crossed. She was just looking at me. And I said, if that makes sense and you're putting your faith in Christ right now, can you raise your hand? I'm not kidding. The girl to her right, boom, raises her hand. The girl to her left, boom, raises her hand. She looks up at me and I'm like, told you, yes. You know, I was kind of rubbing it in. Uh, she was committing the sin of assumption. I was committing the sin of gloating, right? But in that moment, two people pass from death to life. Give the gospel every week. Give the gospel consistently. Matter of fact, I don't want to commit the sin of assumption right now. Maybe you're watching this podcast and you don't know where you stand with God. You don't know for sure where you're at spiritually. Listen, 2,000 years ago, man, God sent his son to pay the price for your sin and for mine. He loves us. He created us to be with him. But sin got in the way, became that wall of separation. Religion could never bridge that gap and break through that wall. So God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And he, he said, it is finished. If you Believe that Jesus died for you and rose again from the dead. He gives you everlasting life and it's a personal, permanent relationship with the God of the universe. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, I challenge you to put your faith in Jesus right now. If you're a youth leader listening to this, simple, simple way. Give the gospel every week. Your teens will know anytime they bring somebody, they'll hear the good news. The fourth step, equip your teens and adults to win, build, train, repeat. So what do we want them to do? We want them to win the lost. We want to build the new believers up spiritually, and we want to train them to do the same with others. Equip them, number one, to win the lost. Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? So in other words, how are they going to hear without somebody explaining to them the gospel? And by the way, how are they going to explain the gospel if they don't know how to explain the gospel? This is where youth leaders, we need to make sure our students are trained to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ and our adults. It's what we call take off to touchdown gospel conversations. How do I take off? How do I bring it up? Right? How do I kind of fly through that gospel presentation? Not fly through it, but you know just go with the analogy. And then how do I land? How do I touch down, right? How do I wrap that up? How do I invite them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Equip them to win the lost. Secondly, equip them to build new believers. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Uh, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So we want to equip them to build the new believers. We want new believers uh, not just to believe and be on their merry way. We want them to believe and then grow in Christ, to obey the teachings of Christ, to get plugged in to the church of Christ. Train them to reach and build others. I, I think of my friend uh, Gil Lovato. I was, a, I was a roofer for eight years of my life, and we met, his nickname was Gibo. We met Gibo. 
Uh, Gibo was a roofer. Gibo, he uh, he was from the hood. He uh, had a lowrider with a chain link steering wheel. He let me drive it from time to time. Had a television in it. It was awesome. Uh, he used to come uh, just stacked with rolls of cash. To, I don't know why, but he always had like a roll of just hundreds. Uh, he'd sell dogs on the side. Uh, he sold jewelry that he would never admit where he got from. I may or may not have purchased one or two of those items for my now wife. I'm not agree. I'm not saying I did. I don't know. Ignorance is bliss. Anyway, um, I began to share Christ with Gibo, and so did uh, some of my other friends who were roofers. And he eventually put his faith in Christ. And we would listen to preachers like Chuck Swindoll on the roof uh, or, you know, uh, Erwin Lutzer, others. And we would, you know, just talk about it. And so all day long was a discipleship. And we won him and then we, we built him. I mean, we built Gibo up spiritually and then we trained him uh, to share his faith. And he, man, he shared his faith. It was so awesome to see what God did through his life. Matter of fact, uh, probably about 10 years ago now, he died. I heard about it. I had lost contact with him. I went to his funeral, probably about 150 people there or so. And person after person after person got up and shared how Gibo had led them to Jesus Christ. Uh, and it was just awesome to see that collectively, those of us as believers who were able to win him to Christ and build him spiritually and train him how to share the gospel, uh, how that just went on. Well, I tell you, that same thing happens with our teenagers and with the adult leaders in our group. We, we win people, we build them, and then we train them, and then we repeat and by the way, Dare to Share, we, we do have some really cool curriculum. We have one called uh, Shine, and it really trains and equips your students how to have those gospel conversations, how to will, win, build, and train. Number five, the fifth, the fifth help is this. Go to great websites to steal great ideas. Uh, I think of Jonathan McKee's website, The Source for Youth Ministry, Doug Fields and Josh Griffith, uh, download youth ministry, uh, youthministry.com to name a few. There's so many great websites out there that have games, that have ideas, that have retreat stuff, that have short videos, that have really, really cool stuff. And I know I was talking to you earlier about making sure that we process our own food. But again, I'm not saying you can't borrow someone else's outline. Just make sure that you make that your own. Make sure that it's supported scripturally. But there's all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff that you don't have to invent. You don't have to create. So go to the best. You know, my... Uh, uh, First Corinthians, I love this passage, First Corinthians 3.9, uh, Paul writes, We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We're co-workers. So there's other believers out there, other youth ministry experts out there that you can borrow ideas from and use their resources and tools to make a great youth ministry experience. You know, my son, when he was about 10 or 12 years old, he said, Dad, I want to go hunting. I want to learn how to hunt, but you don't know how to hunt. I go, Jeremy, you got to either be the man or know the man. I know the man. So I called my buddy Donnie, who knows how to hunt, and he took us all out hunting, right? So you don't have to be an expert at all the games and all the stuff and all the videoing and all that stuff. You just need to know where to find it. There's so many great youth ministry resources. Make sure you make use of those. Number six, invest your life in the few. Invest your life in the few. This is something we cannot help but learn from the life of Jesus. Jesus invested his life in the few. Now, you may be thinking, well, I thought the crowds followed Jesus. Yes, Jesus ministered to the crowds, but he poured his life into the few. 
Out of the crowd of thousands, there were 72 that he invested in personally, according to Luke 10, verses 1 through 11. Out of the 72, there were 12 that were his inner circle, according to Mark 3, 13 through 15. Out of the 12, there were three that uh, that were comprised of his inner inner circle. We see that in Matthew 17, 1 through 3. And out of the three, he had one that was really his favorite, uh, and John, according to John 20, verse 2, John used to call himself the disciple who Jesus loved. How do you like that? I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. Boom. All right. And, and you look at this, Jesus invested more deeply in, in the 1 and the 3 and the 12 and the 72 than he did in the crowds. And you may be thinking, well, that sounds like he's playing favorites. Well, he, he was. And I know that sounds wrong, but he's God. <laughs> the Son of God, the Son of Man, he's given us the pattern. I think what he's showing us is that you can minister to the crowds, but you got to pour into the few. Who are the few that you pour into? You pour into the few that are serious about leaving everything behind and following Jesus. So you get serious about those who are serious. This is what Jesus did in Mark 3, 13 and 14. Jesus went up on a mountainside, called him to those, uh, those that he wanted, and they came to him. He called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He pointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Matthew 17, 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. So he is investing in a few. Now, here's how that impacts the many. So I don't know if you've ever used a magnifying glass to set a piece of paper on fire. I have many, many times. And when we're done here, I may go do it again because it's just fun. But you, what you do is you take a magnifying glass and you get all those sun rays kind of focused into a single stream. And then that single stream goes down into that one piece of that paper. And sooner or later, it catches on fire. And once it catches on fire, it spreads out totally on its own. When you focus your energy to really minister to a handful of kids that are serious about Christ, guess what? The fire that begins with them spreads out to the rest of the youth group. So you're really not playing favorites. You're being strategic by investing in those who are willing to really grow and go. And then they will invest in the others. Finally, create a storytelling culture. You want a simple idea to really improve the quality of your youth ministry, create a storytelling culture. Stories are fodder for revival. Every great awakening has been accompanied by great stories, and great stories breed even more stories that stir courage in the hearts of students. So what do you do? You program storytelling time into your youth uh, ministry, your youth groups, your small groups, encourage teens to share who they're praying for, who they're caring for, who they're sharing the gospel with. Have them share the stories that are good, the stories that are bad, the stories that are ugly. Psalm 107, 1 through 3, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. It's storytelling time, right? We see this in the New Testament in Acts 11, 4, when uh, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. And you'll see several passages like that uh, throughout the New Testament where people are telling stories, and that inspires courage in others. I don't know if you remember the campfire time at the end of camp. Almost every camp we did finish with a campfire time where we'd all gather around the campfire and students would tell their stories of what God did in their lives that week, right? The problem is when that campfire story is over, it usually there's not another campfire storytelling time to the next year at camp, right? 
what I propose is every week is campfire storytelling time. Every week we're taking time. We're hearing from others. We're praying with others. We're, we're celebrating the victories. We're praying for others and their defeats. And that creates a storytelling time that inspires evangelism and inspires students <clears throat> to share the gospel. I want to show you a picture of my friend, Mr. Bill. This is, this is Mr. Bill. Uh, Mr. Bill wears this shirt 6650 because there's 6,650 teens in his community that yet know, yet to, are yet to know uh, Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's committed to working together with youth leaders to reach them all. And he's created a storytelling time in his youth ministry that really has been a game changer. Matter of fact, years ago, he heard me preach a sermon that I took my family uh, to uh, Germany, uh, and I was there kind of on a preaching tour, uh, and we went to Dachau, this concentration camp, and we were looking at all the atrocities, and then 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we heard this bell start to ring, and everybody's like, what is that bell? And our tour guide said, that bell is the 3 o'clock bell. I go, "What? why, did, why is it there? And, they, and he said, well, um, uh, Austrian believers... Uh, that survived the Holocaust came back and built this tower with the bell in it because Jesus died at three o'clock. And they want everyone to know at three o'clock every day that in the midst of hopelessness, there's hope. That bell rings. When Christ died on the cross, that bell rings for the hope of all humanity. So when that bell rings, it's a reminder of that. So what Mr. Bill did is he put in a bell uh, in his youth ministry, and every week uh, when students have a story to share during that time, they'll go up and they'll ring the bell, and they'll tell the story of somebody they're seeking to share the gospel with. Well, there is one student in particular named Nick, and Nick came to youth group. Nick uh, introduced himself to Mr. Bill and said, hi, I'm an atheist. And Mr. Bill said, well, you're welcome here. And he came. He loved coming to youth group. He was not a believer, um, but he was invited by a girl named Kira. And Kira kept sharing Christ with him. And, and he kept coming to youth group. And sometimes he would get in debates. But he, he enjoyed being around Mr. Bill, being around the youth group, even though he was an atheist. And week after week, uh, Nick heard kids get up and ring the bell and tell their stories of who they're sharing the gospel with. Well, one night, Nick gets up during that time, walks up to the front, rings the bell, turns to the crowd and says, it's me. And nobody knew exactly what he's talking about. He said, it's me. This week, I put my faith in Jesus. Kira had been telling him the gospel again and again and again. And finally, he put his faith in Christ. Here's the words of, of Mr. Bill. He shared how he had been coming for over a year, having talks with Kira, and finally believed that Jesus had died for his sins and was offering him eternal life. Four months later, Nick was found to have a plastic anemia, which breaks down your immune system. Two weeks after that, Nick contracted a fungus and was hospitalized. A few days later, that fungus went into his brain and he died. Today, Nick is enjoying heaven because of a teenager named Kira who was willing to talk to him about Jesus. Powerful story. I'm so grateful that Nick is in the presence of God right now. He's in heaven. He's doing better than any of us. And thank God for Kira, who was willing to share the gospel with him. But maybe she was inspired by that bell, by those stories. Every single week, teenagers want to tell their story. Let's create a space for them to do that. These seven simple ideas, I believe, will deeply impact the way you do youth ministry. I encourage you to wrestle through them and put them into practice right away. Let me pray for you. Father, I lift up these youth leaders, give them courage, help them to process through all this content, 
And may they choose one or two things they can do right away. And may we all pray. We can all pray. Uh, and pray for our students, get our students praying for their friends. And Lord, use that to energize our youth ministries so we can mobilize our teenagers to gospelize their world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, Craig. Amazing content. Seven ways to increase your youth ministry effectiveness. Uh, again, I'm Jason Lamb. I'm here with my friend. Terry. And we are here to break down Greg's talk. We are actually uh, going to follow Greg in terms of hitting each of the seven takeaways that he gave us. He gave us the seven takeaways of how to increase your youth ministry effectiveness. And so Carrie and I are just going to share some tips and tools uh, from each of these. And uh, Greg kicked us off this episode with Make Prayer Numero Uno. Yeah, such a great, great thing to remember and focus on as a youth leader, and sometimes we tend to forget. So just be creative with how you approach that with students. We used a poll service called Poll Everywhere, and oh, cool. it was just great. The students could text in prayers, and they populated the screen live, and you could just really tangibly feel kind of their shift, change, and focus on those prayers and understand what's going on with each other and how to pray for one another and their oh, friends that don't know So Jesus. cool that happened in yeah. real time like that, too. Yeah. What a great way to that engage the students. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Number two, take time to prepare a lesson that rocks. I'm sure all of us feel the pressure. Wednesday nights come and Sunday mornings come and we don't have a lot of time. I made one simple adjustment several years ago in ministry and that was whether it was Wednesday night or Sunday morning's lesson or sermon that I was preparing. I would just take a few minutes on Monday morning, like three minutes, and read that Bible passage or those few verses so that yeah. it just started getting into my mind. And I would go back as many times as I could on Monday to reread the text. And by simply doing that, I mean, all told maybe five minutes out of my whole day, uh, it just got me thinking around that truth so that whether I was doing a curriculum out of the box or a, a talk that I was going to be preparing later in the week, it just became more a part of who I was and my way of thinking. So when I deliver it, I owned it. And so that was just a big, it made a difference in preparing a lesson that rocks. The other thing that you can do to prepare a lesson that rocks was Greg's third tip to us, and that is give the gospel every week. Uh, saw profound life change uh, when I made that transition in youth ministry of giving the gospel every week. I'll never forget uh, when I started at the church in Tennessee. It was a youth ministry of about 350 students, and uh, all church kids, right? Uh, at least that was the sentiment, uh, but I came in and just faithfully gave the gospel every week, and in the first month, we saw a half dozen students come to faith. Yeah, and it wasn't amazing. anything me. It was just giving the gospel every week. And then the confidence of our students grew in understanding and communicating the gospel because they heard me do it every week. So the, the tip for number three is youth leader, just give the gospel every week. Just do it. Absolutely. So great. So good. Yeah. And the fourth point he had was to equip your students to win, build, train, and repeat. Mm. So powerful. He mentioned shine and this is what it looks like. It's super great curriculum. I use it as a youth pastor and it was so effective in helping our students really get comfortable with sharing their faith and understanding what the gospel is all about. And it was so good to see the students in the video just kind of really explaining in real life situations how it had gone, what worked well, what their challenges were, that sort of thing. That's awesome. Yeah, it was so good. good. Good stuff. And then Greg got a little crazy for number five because he told us to steal <laughs> steal things yes steal ideas from 
the internet. Yeah, and essentially, obviously, he means like to borrow, of course, but he, he mentioned some fabulous websites, DYM and uh, Jonathan McKee's The Source for Youth Ministry, and, and I love those. They're great. I also use, you may not have heard of this one, Jeannie Mayo's YouthLeadersCoach.com, and it's mm. a fantastic website. It has not only free resources, great retreat ideas, illustrations, etc., the normal kind of stuff. also has some really great resources for you, the youth pastor, to grow in all kinds of great ways, practical stuff, fundraising ideas, to how to deal with difficult people, all kinds of great stuff. So check it out for sure. Always good to get additional resources and another place that you can steal from. Uh, (laughs) Number six for me that Greg shared, by far the hardest thing I ever had to do in youth ministry, invest your life in the few. Uh, We look out into our youth groups and our youth rooms and whether it's 10 kids, 100 kids, 30 kids, we want them all to get it. We want to pour our lives into all of them and, and there's just a simple reality we all need to embrace there's not enough time in the day or the week for us to invest in every kid. And so you've got to invest in a few. And I remember uh, choosing Mark Taylor, this just unbecoming middle school student who would wear different color shoes and socks and gym shorts and (laughs) t-shirts and a Harry Potter cape every week to youth group. (laughs) Like you would look at him and be like, that's not the kid I'm going to invest in. But the potential with Mark is he had the time because he wasn't involved anywhere else and nobody else was giving him the time. And I just began to pour my life into Mark and Mark, the, the transformation that took place in just a few months. Mark ended up his freshman year of high school leading more people to Christ than I did in mm. and through the programming of our youth ministry. Wow. And that's the power of investing in a few or even investing in one. And so it's gonna be difficult. And I would encourage you to really pray through that because it may not be the first leadership student that comes to mind. It might be that unbecoming student that just, if somebody invested them, they would become a game changer for the gospel. And that's what happened with Mark. I love that, love that. Yeah, and he finalized the talk with creating a storytelling culture, which is so key and so powerful. So I really do hope you're intentional about creating that. One of the things that we did is we created a display that just kind of represented our bold vision. And we used some paper cutouts that one of the ladies at our church had this die cutting machine. She could make, you know, whatever paper shape we wanted. And so we landed on praying hands for our prayer focus, which the students prayed more than 20 minutes a week for their friends who don't know Jesus. Then they came up and put those up there. And if they were intentional about caring for another student, then they put up a little paper heart. Yes, paper heart. Nice. It's so awesome. And then if they shared the, the gospel in some way or another with a student, they put up a little talking bubble cutout, which was really fun to see. Man, those really grew and took off. Once they saw each other doing that, they were so inspired. Mm. Really cool. And then we also had this pair idea, which was part of our bold vision, where they were discipling one another and mentoring one another and a pair of cherries, you know, because God creates fruit through Love all that it. cool stuff. So that was really Love fun it. to to see that at work. Uh, Carrie, that's sure. so good. So and fun. it's it's a great way. You, you get testimonies from students, but only typically one, two, three students yeah. have the opportunity to share. So a way that all of your students are constantly staring their stories and how it encourages the group. Uh, that's a powerful idea, Carrie. I, that, that was fun. Yeah, you, you should do that. <laughs> you should do that. All of us should do that. So good. Well, thank you all so much again for joining us for this episode of Gospelize with Greg Steer. Uh, love the content Greg gave and hopefully mm-hmm. the ideas that Carrie and I have shared with you from our experiences. Take and use what you want, or maybe that just creates new ideas in how you want to apply that yourself. And in thinking of additional resources, don't forget to check out the website for those downloadable resources that will help you take this podcast and content and, and go and do something with it. So uh, again, this is Jason and Carrie on behalf of Greg and the whole Dare to Share uh, team. Thanks so much for dialing in uh, to this month's episode of Gospelize with Greg Steer. <laughs>